in Northwest Arkansas. A few years ago, he told me about this story. Bill had just moved back to Arkansas uh, from Kentucky. He studied uh, in seminary in Kentucky and now is working on planting a church in his home state of Arkansas. One day he realized that he had lost his wallet, which is not a good feeling. He had no clue where he dropped it. Well, he dropped it in a parking lot and a homeless man had found his wallet. This homeless guy looked in the wallet and found a business card in the wallet. The homeless guy called the number on the business card, and the number was a guy that Bill had met in Kentucky. That guy in Kentucky didn't have Bill's number, didn't have a way to contact him, but the guy in Kentucky just so happened to have a daughter and son-in-law who lived in Arkansas, and he contacted them to see if they could connect with Bill. You following me so far? There's a lot of connections there. So homeless guy gets the information to Kentucky guy. Kentucky guy gets it to his son-in-law, Larry. Larry connects with the homeless guy, gets the wallet, and connects with Bill. Larry um, connects with Bill, and they actually become friends. And over a year period, Bill is able to share the gospel with Larry. And Larry is saved by Jesus baptized and becomes part of the church plant that Bill was working on. A lost wallet found by a homeless guy who happened to call a number on a business card in the wallet and connected to a son-in-law, Larry, whose life is radically transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, our God has a mission and he is accomplishing his kingdom purposes in ways that we don't even realize. And he invites us into his mission. Today, we're having our final week of our reset series where we're considering our mission statement as a church, both how that impacts us individually and as a church. We say this, Risen Hope Church exists to glorify God as we treasure, apply, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And today we're talking about that last aspect of proclaiming the gospel, the good news of Jesus with both our mouths and our lives. But before I jump into the passage of Matthew 9, I want us to have a little bit of framework. And remember, we don't just jump into doing. That is a temptation for all of us as we just do things. We just go. That's how we are as Americans. We do, do, do. We do, we do things. So we could just do, we could go evangelize, do missions, go on the mission field, share the gospel. And all those things are good, but we don't start with doing. We start with being. We start with who we are made to be. But before we start there, we got to know who God is. We got to know who God is, what he has done. And then only, uh, and then and only then can we do to go to who we are and what we do. So a helpful way to think about this in the idea of proclaiming is this statement we've come up with, compelled by God's heart and glory. So who is God? He is glorious. And what has he done? He has loved and rescued sinners through his death and resurrection. That's, that's who, who it, what his heart is. Compelled by God's heart and glory, we're committed to demonstrating and declaring the gospel. So we don't just demonstrate and declare the gospel on our own. No, we are compelled by God's heart. We're com compelled by God's glory. With that in mind, let's look at Matthew chapter 9. This is one of my favorite passages when thinking about the mission of Jesus. Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching 
in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word. What I'm going to argue today from this text is this statement. We are invited into the mission of Jesus. We are invited into the mission of Jesus. All who are followers of Christ are invited into the mission of Christ, but we don't invent the mission. We don't just come up with our own strategies. No, this is Jesus' message, his heart and his plan that we're going to look at today. So first is Jesus' message. That's the first point today, and it's the gospel. Now, Jesus had a regular rhythm for his ministry. See if you can pick up on it in Matthew chapter 4. Listen to Matthew 4.23. It'll be on the screen. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. That's Matthew chapter 4. Now look at your text that you have in your Bible, Matthew chapter 9.35. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. You're picking up on a pattern here that Jesus had in his rhythm. We see that Jesus was teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing the diseases and afflictions. That's the rhythm of Jesus here. Jesus would teach in the synagogues, the center of Jewish worship at the time, the place where folks would gather to hear the Old Testament taught. They did not have their own little personal copy of the Old Testament in their house. So they went to the synagogue to hear the Old Testament read and also to hear about the the coming Messiah. This is where they considered the one who would be the lamb to take away the sins of the world. He would teach in their synagogues. Then he would proclaim. He would proclaim what? The gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. What does that mean? It means that Jesus was heralding his own rule and authority as the king of kings and lord of lords. He was claiming that the kingdom of God is at hand. He was making known the good news of the Messiah, the rescuer, the deliverer was present. The kingdom of God was breaking into the kingdom of darkness. And then to authenticate that ministry, to prove it true, to prove the breaking in of the kingdom of God, he would heal. We see him touching the leper. We see him giving sight to the blind. He would restore the legs of the lame. He would give hearing to the deaf. He would cast out many demons. In fact, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, Isaiah unrolls, this is in the synagogue, unrolls the the prophet of Isaiah and reads this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captive and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Okay, so that's kind of normal. There's someone standing up and reading a passage from the Old Testament, reading from Isaiah. That's what happened in the synagogue week after week. But what happens and what the, the rabbis would do mostly, they'd sit down for the teaching. So he sits down and here's what he says. 
about what he just read about the Messiah in Isaiah, he says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's what Jesus says. So he says that, and we got to think, well, did the people understand what Jesus was saying? Did they understand he just made a claim to be the Messiah? Oh, yes, they did. They take him to a cliff and try to throw him off of it because he's blaspheming. He's lying if he's not the Messiah. Jesus is proclaiming who he is, the, the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom is at hand. And Jesus has a regular kingdom rhythm of both word and deed. So we talk in our mission statement at Risen Hope about the idea of proclaiming, but this isn't the idea of just a one-time proclaiming. This is the kingdom rhythm of a life lived proclaiming in word and deed. We demonstrate and declare the gospel because we have had the gospel of mercy demonstrated and declared to us. We show mercy to others because we've been shown mercy. We help the harassed and helpless because we've been the harassed and helpless. And friends, Jesus had a message, the gospel, and proclaimed it, and then calls his people to know and share the gospel. He says, I'm the light of the world, referring to himself, but later he refers to his people, the church, as the light of the world. Jesus' followers are the representation of Jesus on earth, his hands and feet, or we could say he's the head and we are the body, as Paul says. Matthew 28, Jesus has his disciples with him. He says, all authority in heaven on earth are, is mine. And then what are they to do? They're to go and make disciples. They're to go. This is a going. This is the mission of God that they are on. This is not their mission. This is not their creativity or ingenious ideas. No, it's his mission that they are on and called to. But he says this, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we want to ask some simple questions today. And here's one of them. Hopefully it's just a simple question for us to observe and think about. Do we know the gospel? Do we know the gospel and do we know how to share Jesus' gospel with others? If we're a follower of Jesus, this is an important question for us to just consider. Do we know the gospel and do we know how to share the gospel with others? I love our friend Jeff Vanderstelt's term gospel fluency. Gospel fluency. If you're fluent in a language, you don't have to translate the words into your own language in order to figure out what's going on with the other person saying. Like, I'm not fluent in Spanish. If someone asks me something in Spanish, I get the Spanish, I translate it in English in my head. And then in order to say something back to them, I've gone from English in my head to Spanish if I know a little bit of broken Spanish and try to say it in Spanish. That's not fluent, that's exhausting. Friends, are we fluent in the gospel? Can you fluently see how the gospel speaks to all areas of your life? Do you know how to listen to others with gospel-informed listening? Do you know how to ask questions of others with gospel-informed questions? Do you know how to help others connect their life story into the big story of God's redemption plan for history of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration? And friends, we want to help you if you don't know how to do that. That's why we give every new member at Risen Hope a little book called The Gospel Primer. 
Because we want you to know the gospel in more ways than just Jesus died for my sins, which is a good little truncated version. Jesus died for my sins. Do that in children's ministry. But we got to go beyond that of understanding who Jesus is and what the gospel means to our lives. We also have this idea behind our gospel care training. We want every member of Risen Hope Church to be gospel fluent, to know how to know and think and share the gospel with a fluency about it. We also want to have simple tools to help us when we're sharing the gospel with coworkers or neighbors or friends or family members. That's why several years ago we brought to the church the 411 training. 411 411 just stands for four questions in one hour on one sheet of paper. It's a simple training that we do every once in a while. About once a quarter we're doing this. And uh, I've uh, been teaching this for a while and, and used the three circles, which is part of the 411 training, um, oftentimes. So you'll see the little, the, uh, the drawing. I couldn't think of the word. The drawing on the screen, if you'll put that up, Nathan. You've seen me talk about this before. That's from the 411 training. This is a little simple tool called Three Circles. Um, it's a way to share the gospel with others. In fact, we just ordered this week these stickers for this. And here's the neat thing. The sticker has a QR code. You scan the QR code and say you're talking to someone in a different language, like you're not fluent. So I was with a friend. We were at Subway just the other day. There's a guy from India there. It was clear we weren't communicating well. Scan this, and it's in Hindi, the gospel presentation. There's like 60 different languages of sharing the gospel, and you can say, hey, can you watch that? So it's an opportunity to have the gospel available, an easy little way to do it. And for me, this three circles, you can take that off, but it's been a golden tool to use. It's not the only way to share the gospel. It's not, you know, the best way to share the gospel necessarily, but it's been an easy way. I remember going with uh, Allie and Anna Grace after a 411 training, and we're in the flea market, and we're just sharing the gospel with this teenager named Antonio. He's working there with his grandmother. His grandma comes out. It's like, I've been praying for him. Like, so it was like this fun little sharing the gospel with him and just using the three circles. And you're like, where are you in there? And he's like, I'm in the brokenness. I care about money. I keep stealing from people. And you're like, wow, okay, we're talking here. And, and well, where would you want to be? I want to be in the new creation. I want to be one who has my heart changed. And it's like, well, what's holding you back? He's like, I don't know. I, I, like, I like money too much. Like he's being real as you're talking to him. So pray for Antonio. I shared with my neighbor, Chris, who's a Buddhist. We're in a local pub and I just take a napkin and, and use the napkin and write out the little drawing on there. It's an easy little tool. You don't have to have um, a little track with you. Uh, I was with my neighbor, Gregory, and using sidewalk chalk on the driveway and doing it that way. And it's like, this is a kid who lives across the street from us who's over all the time. It's like, let's talk about Jesus. Friends, 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16 says that we are to always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. We have hope that others will see the light of the gospel around us. And we have the privilege of sharing the gospel with others as ambassadors. Those who've gone from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved son, we get to talk about what we love the most, which is Jesus. But we don't just herald the message and like force feed it to people. Like, have you ever seen people who like 
they like care about Jesus or they have signs about Jesus or shirts about Jesus, but they're kind of jerks. And you're like, ah, that just doesn't feel like what Jesus did. Like we don't want to be jerks in the midst of trying to share the gospel. We don't want to try to do the work of the spirit in the power of the flesh. So what did Jesus do? Point number two, Jesus' heart was a heart of compassion. Look at verse 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now notice Jesus saw. He saw the crowd. They were not a project to him to be fixed. They were image bearers. They were valued. They had dignity and worth. And notice Jesus stopped. He took the time to look, to really see them in their distress and wanted to do something about it. Friends, how many times do we not see people that are right in front of us? Just, we just don't even see them. I want to do a little experiment right now. All right, so this is for you. Think about your, where you live. This might be your apartment complex. This might be your neighborhood Picture it in your head. Do you know the people around you? Like that neighbor you, maybe behind or in front or to the side. Do you know them? Do you know their names? Do you know where they're from? Do you know what they like and dislike? Do you know how to best love them? Okay, I'm assuming some of it's yes and some of it's no. What would be a step toward loving one of those neighbors, valuing them, knowing where they are harassed and helpless? What's the next step for you with some of those neighbors? <clears throat> if you don't actually know them, I'll tell you what the next step is. Introduce yourself to them. Go say hi. Learn their name. Start praying for them. If you don't know them, invite them for a meal. Help them with yard work when they're out. Ask them to borrow a cup of sugar or an egg or whatever you just ran out of. Like, let them into your life, into your need. Like, you need them, they need you. This isn't just us helping other people. This is us being in community. Consider Jesus' pace in this passage really seeing people who are around him and having a heart of compassion. Do we really slow down and see people, think about them, think about their lives, their stories, their fears, their victories, their hardships, their joys? Friends, when we see people, we begin to have compassion for those people. And Jesus has a heart of compassion. It's not just pity, it's compassion because compassion steps toward the need. It ponders how we can help, how we can care for them. How can we show the love of Jesus to them? Verse 36, it says that the crowd is harassed and helpless. They're like sheep that are about to be picked off by wolves. The word helpless can be translated cast down. When a sheep is on its back, it's turned over, it's stuck. That's called cast down. A sheep actually can't upright itself. Some sheep will even die because they don't know how to do that. Jesus sees some of these people like that. They are stuck. 
They're stuck in their addiction. They're stuck in their shame. They're stuck in their anxiety. They're stuck in their sin. Do you know people like that? People right now that you just can think in your workplace and your you know, extended family and your neighborhood, you know, they're stuck. They may even seem like everything's good, like they have it all together. But just under the surface, there's depression and anxiety and substance abuse or financial struggles or relationships that are falling apart. Let's do another little practical exercise right now. Think of someone right now. This might be one of those neighbors you already thought about. It might be someone in your workplace or extended family member. Let's pray for them. Let's take the next 30 seconds and pray for them and ask the Lord to show you where are they harassed and helpless that you can actually specifically pray for them. So let's do that for the next 30 seconds. As we pray, our compassion grows. Jesus sees them and has compassion and he wants to stir our compassion. But as you finish praying, Jesus also wants us to recognize the solution for these who are harassed and helpless. He says they are like sheep without a shepherd. They need help. And what do they need most? What do they need? What does Jesus see these harassed and helpless people and say, this is what they need. Here's the solution. A shepherd. They need the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. They need life in him. They need rescue from their brokenness and sin and destruction and painful toil of the kingdom of darkness. They need to come into the love and affection and wholeness and joy of the kingdom of Christ. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the shepherd is the greatest need for your classmates and your coworkers and your neighbors and your family members? They need the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. And they need the shepherding care of those who know the shepherd, who have been shepherded. They need you, your heart, your compassion, your love, your patience, and your mercy. And friends, this is where the local church comes in. The shepherding care of Jesus comes through his people. Pastors and deacons and community group leaders and ministry leaders and friends who pray for them and love them and laugh with them and cry with them. A church that's gifted by the Holy Spirit to love them and serve them. And friends, for those of us who did not know Jesus until we were teenagers or adults, don't you remember the anguish of not having a shepherd? Do you remember that? I remember in high school, one day making a really foolish statement kind of in a crowd of people and later that night getting death threats. This is when you didn't have a cell phone. They actually called the house and talked to your mom and dad at first. And it was scary. I remember being very scared, being threatened with my life. I remember having a cycle of always trying to please the next coach or please the next teacher. I remember having an entanglement and lust and pornography and feeling like I was rotting inside. I remember being at church on Sundays because my parents 
made me go. And just knowing, sitting there, maybe like some of you right now, and knowing I was a fake, just knowing it and wondering, like, does the pastor, like when he makes eye contact with me in the sermon, like, does he know I'm a fake? Which I don't, just to let you know, just, just a little window. But I was just a fake. Living a lie, helpless and harassed, sheep without a shepherd, cast down. Oh, friends, do you see the compassion of the Savior? He has an eye on those type of people. He had an eye on me and an eye on you. And when Jesus came to me at 18, he didn't slap me across the face and say, you idiot, what's your problem? No, he showed me the foolishness of my ways and put in my heart the question, am I going to keep following this path? of emptiness and lust and fear? Or am I going to follow Jesus? See, he truly is a good shepherd. He leads his sheep by streams of water. He walks us through valleys of the shadow of death and we will fear no evil. Why? Because his rod protects us from others. His staff protects us from ourselves and wandering away from him. But even more, the text says, because you are with me. The shepherd is with his sheep and attends to them. And friends, we must understand the heart of Christ, this compassionate heart, because it compels and propels the mission of Christ. When Jesus sees the harassed and helpless, he does something about it. What does he do? Point number three, Jesus' plan, pray for laborers. Look at verses 37 and 38. Then Jesus said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus' first instruction to the disciples is not fix the problem. See the problem, fix the problem. That's not what he does. His instruction is to see the potential. View life through God's eyes. Yes, people are harassed and helpless. But don't you look closely. Look with spiritual eyes. The harvest is plentiful. I was thinking about this this morning. I was sharing this with our 915 prayer group. Um, You ever go to the eye doctor and they start flicking those things and you're looking through it and they're like, one or five, one or nine, one or, and you're like, one. Five, nine. You know, you're given the number of what lens looks better. What, what can you see the letters out there better when they're putting the lens on? Well, Jesus is looking at the same crowd, but there's two different things he's seeing and he's helping us to see. They are harassed and they are helpless. Okay, lens one. But you go over to lens five and look what he says. The harvest, same people, is plentiful. We need that lens. Some of us are all aware of the harvest that's like, it doesn't seem great because all we're seeing is the harassed and helpless. He's like, no, it's plentiful. God is writing stories like lost wallets that go to sons-in-laws who come to know Christ. That you're like, how did that even happen? The Lord. Our God is a missionary God. He's working through his missionary people that have a missionary identity. Look at this quote on the screen by Scott Thomas. Since we are in Christ, I'm talking about union with Christ. Since we are in Christ, 
We have a missionary identity. We are adopted into a missionary family. We serve a missionary God. Mission becomes part of our identity because our father is a missionary God and we resemble him as children of God. The church is a missionary church with missionary people who do missionary things for the glory of our missionary God. My friends, Alan and Tyler, were prayer walking in downtown Charleston in August. This is just a few months back. And just asking the Lord, Lord, give us your eyes, give us your heart for this area as we want to see your kingdom come and your will be done. They call prayer walking harvest time, which I was like, man, that sounds really optimistic. But I was like, that's really good. Call it harvest time. So they met a guy named Devante. They share the gospel with Devante and Devante comes to know Jesus as his savior. The next week they're like, come along, Devante, we're going to prayer walk together. As they're talking, they're prayer walking. He talks about his sister who he wants to share the gospel with. They teach him how to share the gospel. They actually use some of the 411 training. Devante shares the gospel with Kenyatta. Kenyatta comes to know Jesus. Then uh, as she comes to know Jesus, their, their mom comes to know Jesus. Then another guy, a few weeks later, their prayer walking comes to know Jesus. And they start realizing they're starting to form this little church of new believers that they're meeting in a park each Friday afternoon to get together and study the Bible together. And as this little church comes together and they study the commands of Christ and what he says, they said, hey, we're kind of forming this church. So you guys are believers. So um, we need to baptize you. Well, where's good water downtown to baptize? Let's go to the pineapple fountain. So they go to the pineapple fountain and start baptizing people in there. Well, they're at the pineapple fountain and there's this lady just sitting beside the pineapple apple fountain with a Bible open. Well, Tyler, uh, Tyler's wife, Ellie, goes over to this lady. Her name's Alicia and says, hey, I noticed you have a Bible open. Alicia says, well, my house just recently burned down and the only thing that didn't burn was this Bible. So I'm reading it, but I really don't understand a lot about what's going on. So uh, Ellie shares the gospel with Alicia and her smoke infused Bible and shares the gospel and Ellie comes to know Christ as her savior. The harvest is plentiful. Sometimes we doubt that. I've doubted that many a day. And I've struggled with seeing more of the harassed and helpless than the harvest is plentiful. But Jesus says this. Oh, may we have eyes of faith. First Corinthians 3, Paul says, here's God's work. Some sow and some water. But here's what happens. God causes the growth. It is his harvest. He causes the growth. Sometimes we're sowing, sometimes we're watering, and God sends in harvesters like he did with Tyler and Ellie and Alan and others and Kenyatta. But notice this startling phrase that Jesus continues in Matthew 9, 37. He says this, the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Jesus looks at the abundant harvest and then like at a small group of disciples and they said, you're going to need help. What are they called to do at that moment? Think about this. Just pause for a second. What are they called to do? Are they called to work more hours? Are they called to work more efficiently? Are they called to strategize better? Are they called to set up more events? No. 
What are they called to do? They're called to pray. You can't do it. It's beyond you. Well, let's figure it out. No, you pray. That's what Jesus says to do. Friends, how much of life do we need to understand this? You don't just do more. You don't just figure it out. Pray. The laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Notice several things from this passage. First, we notice that the harvest is his harvest. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. Secondly, we notice that Jesus says to pray before we go. We pray to the Lord because it's his harvest. We pray for more labors because we need help. And we pray for the harvest. We pray for those non-believing men and women that we know that we have in our life that the Lord would pluck them up and bring them into the kingdom. Friends, that's the driving force behind why one of our main strategies is prayer walking and praying in this neighborhood. We want to see a movement of God here. There's tons of brokenness, a lot of need, a lot who are harassed and helpless, but not just in this neighborhood of Sangaree, in your neighborhood if you don't live in this neighborhood. And God doesn't just tell us, do anything. Just have good ideas and do them. No, he says, pray. So we tried to pray for every singery home in 2023. We didn't get our goal of all of them. We're still working on it. So if you want to come to a prayer walk in 2024, we would love for you to join the prayer here. We'd love for you to pray, pray here. So then you pray there in your neighborhood if you don't live in this neighborhood. And do you know what happens when laborers are praying for more laborers? They become harvesters. We walk into the field and we see the harassed and helpless and that they need a shepherd and we are compelled to talk about the shepherd with them. I remember reading about Tim and Kathy Keller and they're praying. They just had a heart that someone needs to go plant a church in New York City. And so Tim approaches this one couple. And he's like, pretty sure this is them. And they say, oh, no, we're not going. And then he's going and talking to this other couple. I think you should go to, to New York City. And as he's talking to that couple, realizes I think God might be calling us to do that. As we're praying about the harvest, at times God says, actually, we're the ones that are supposed to do that. Friends, Jesus stirs us with his plan and his mission, and he compels us to worship him as we get to see lives changed for his glory. Think of the stories, friends, you guys who've been around for a year or more, of the stories you've heard from right here. As Jesus has saved the lost, now part of this church family, God used the words and the lives of others and the Holy Spirit saved them. Mark is saved out of a gambling addiction. Matt saved while he's laying on the floor with a bullet in his chest. Marcella saved a low point in her life as a single mom, remembering the gospel as a, that a stewardess had once shared with her. Brooke saved as a high schooler, watching a group of peers having a zeal for Jesus. And she's like, I want some of that. Nick and Jenna saved as a newlywed couple stationed in Germany, feeling hope 
hopeless and harassed and walk into a church and hear the gospel for the first time. Daniel, saved at 17, wondering if God could actually save him as he's caught in addiction, feeling hopeless. The gospel of Jesus Christ breaks through his sin-weary heart. And friends, those stories could go on. Those are just a few members of our church. But there's more and more stories because the harvest is plentiful. And now these people, Mark and Matt and Marcella and Brooke and Nick and Jenna and Daniel, are now laborers in the harvest. Those who were once in the harvest are now laborers. Friends, do we pray for laborers? Do we pray for those people that we just prayed about and like, Lord, don't just save them, use them. Save them so you may save their kids or their friends or their other coworkers or their mom or their dad. Are we praying for laborers, for neighbors, for people in our schools and workplaces? Are we praying for more people to have that missionary heart? Are we praying for those who are near to us but far from God that they would be ripe for harvest? One of the phrases that someone taught me a few years ago that I really loved was this phrase, owning the lostness, owning the lostness, owning the lostness in a community, meaning King Jesus placed you in a specific place for a specific time, for a specific purpose, his glory and honor. And that I am the missionary of Jesus where I live, work and play. Right there, Jesus put me there and he put you in your specific place. My big focus for years, uh, right around where I was, I, I was sharing the gospel at a local cigar shop. And then uh, about during COVID, I developed asthma. I was just talking to somebody about that. You don't wanna go in a cigar shop when you have asthma, not a great idea. So I had to divert the different plan of where, um, where my main mission focus was. So for now, it is our neighborhood, is what God has placed us in. And so I'm regularly praying for Susan and Sean and Courtney and Mike and Lori and Damon and Lashana and Sandy and TJ and Chris and Anya and Donald and uh, Shalisa and Jeff and Brittany and Jeremiah and Katie and our new Russian neighbors and not their yappy dogs because they drive me nuts and Zach and Beth. Those dogs are annoying. Um, but there's a list of people. And that's just a little bit of our street. That's just not even all of it. That's not even everybody but I want to own that. I want to pray for them. I want them to know Jesus as their savior and have gospel conversations. Friends, what's your harvest? What part of lostness in the community do you own and take responsibility for? That you're there for them and their highs and their lows and their parties and their depression and you love them. And friends, let me just be honest. Not all, you can't keep people at a distance and own the lostness. Like those neighbors know our mess. Like we invite them into mess. Like I remember Chloe, who's a neighbor right down the street, seeing me get really angry in the garage one day. And like, she's like looking at me and I'm angry because the kids like threw their bikes everywhere or something. I'm angry. It's like, I had to go repent to Chloe. And just be like, she was probably eight at the time and looking at me like he's about to kill somebody, which I felt like at the moment, honestly. You let them into your mess, into your world, which means you're going to have to repent to them, probably. 
You can't keep people at a distance. Try to be a shiny, happy Christian and actually be a genuine Christian where you're inviting people into their life and into your life. And let me tell you one more thing. If you're overwhelmed by this idea of God's mission, inviting people into your life, I encourage you to play to your strengths. Like God has wired you in a certain way with enjoyments and desires. Use those for mission. So Perry Wong, who we just kind of sent out as a missionary to the city recently, he loves table tennis. As a Chinese dude playing table tennis, play to your strengths. If he didn't play table tennis for the glory of God, I'd be like, why aren't you doing that? Like, so he goes to a local table tennis club, which I didn't even know they, that existed here, and shares the gospel with people. What do you like to do? Do you enjoy board games or fantasy football or baking or working out or working on cars or coaching sports or art or literature? I can just go on. What do you enjoy how do you use that for Jesus' glory and his mission? What are your passions? Recently, someone asked me what my hobbies were. I said, parenting. <laughs> We've got a, it's a joke. I have nine kids. We adopted a bunch. So like, that's what I do. And uh, it's not really true. That's not my hobby, but that's like a lot of what I do. And so parents, your kids can be part of your mission field. Like, because they are going to scatter and be around other people. Use that. So when I come home from work and Damon and Gregory and Emma and Chloe and Molly and Harper and Bryson and Bella and Bakari are in the driveway or in the house or on the trampoline in the backyard, that is not surprising. And sometimes you have to get over yourself. So last Sunday, we're getting ready to have a camp out. And I say to my wife, I want this to be a, not camp out, fire pit. I'm like, I want this to be a Seaver thing. I want, because we have kids every time. I'm like, I just, I just want my kids here so we can have a little time. And then Damon's there. Okay, well, let Damon and the Seavers. And then Emma and Molly and then Bakari. And it was just like, forget it, forget it. We're just having everybody over. We'll have hot dogs. And it's just, but it's like, okay, Lord, this is yours. And I'll just get over myself one more time. But it's for his glory. And friends, we want to live lives for his glory at whatever moments he has. And a lot of that's going to be getting over ourselves. What's your primary mission field? Is it your school or your work? Is it your extended family or your neighborhood? Friends, really think on that. Sean, you can come on up. We're going to end and I want to give you some practical advice. And we're going to actually pray in groups again. We usually don't do that two times in one day, but we're going to do it today. I want to give you some very practical things. And we're just going to pray together. Maybe get in different groups. So the people you prayed with last time, you can't pray with them. Got to move around. There we go. All right. So here's some practical advice for you before we pray in groups. One, um, a great way to think about praying and praying for the harvest and for the Lord to send out labors into the harvest, set your phone alarm for 937. Mark 937. And every time your phone alarm goes off, it, if you're a morning or evening 937, you can pray. I've been around people where together and like we're in a meeting and the phone goes off like, we're gonna pray. It's like we're in the middle of a meeting. Nope, we're praying for the Lord of the harvest. Oh, okay, guess we are. But it's a great reminder to do that. Be trained. We have 411 trainings. We will set up, we have one in February 17th. I will do one sooner if more people want to do it. And we can go out and share the gospel if you desire. 
Go prayer walking in your neighborhood. Don't just take a walk and take your dog on a walk. Pray as you go. Take a step. And friends, if you share the gospel, one of the ways to encourage our church families, we have a, a jar of acorns out here in the lobby. I think there's four in it. So we started again. I think there's like four or five in there right now. That means four or five people have shared the gospel uh, of the kingdom this year in 2024, the last two weeks, which is great. Let's just kind of keep track of that so we can be encouraged by that. All right, here's the prayer points. Can you put those up, Nathan? Here's what we're gonna pray about. We're gonna pray for laborers in the Charleston area for the gospel to go forward. We're gonna pray for specific people that God has put in our lives. And I'd say pray by name if you're comfortable with that. And next, we're gonna pray for our church family to humbly do our part in the mission of God. We're not the only church. We're, we wanna partner with other churches. We wanna do our part and serve his kingdom. So let's stand together. Let's gather with new people. I mean, if it's your family, you can still gather with them. Don't have to throw them out. But new neighbors, you can spread out to the aisles. We're just gonna spend a few minutes just praying.